Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. Download the Crypto.com app today. Need cash but don't want to sell your crypto? Use Nexo's instant crypto credit lines and withdraw funds today. Starting from only 5.9% APR. Create an account at Nexo.io. Today's guest is Joe Lubin, founder of Consensus and co-founder of Ethereum. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Laura. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Consensus made a big acquisition this week and also got some investment. Congratulations. Tell us your big news. Uh, so Consensus uh, has been working with JP Morgan for quite a long time, more recently, um, to discuss how we might uh, work together uh, more intimately and uh, uh, sort of change the nature of the Quorum project. Uh, Quorum is uh, essentially a blockchain infrastructure platform uh, that JP Morgan uh, created uh, based on um, the Ethereum Go client, uh, and uh, they use it um, for their application needs. So they build a bunch of applications, blockchain applications on Quorum. A while ago, they decided that it maybe didn't make sense for them to be a blockchain protocol company. Consensus uh, has now acquired uh, that project, and we are essentially the stewards of that open source project uh, uh, merging it in terms of technical roadmap uh, with our own enterprise Ethereum activities, which are based on Hyperledger or Besu. Uh, so we are providing support uh, for Quorum. Uh, we are building out uh, the Quorum roadmap, and, and Quorum now constitutes uh, Consensus's enterprise Ethereum offering, uh, whether uh, the client chooses Hyperledger Besu as the foundational element or, or Geth as the foundational element. We're excited to offer a the first time, really, a fully comprehensive uh, enterprise blockchain solution, uh, including developer tools, security audit tools, uh, customer success and support, sophisticated cloud configurations, which are, are coming, um, and a bunch of applications that uh, that sit on the Quorum platform. Uh, in addition, JP Morgan has made a significant strategic investment, and, uh, and JP Morgan is uh, a sizable client of consensus. And for listeners who aren't aware, Hyperledger Besu is uh, an enterprise Ethereum client that consensus built. So if Geth is kind of like a, a software version for the public chain, then um, Hyperledger Besu is is um, similar, but for enterprise yeah, software. Let, let, let me just add a little bit of detail without getting too much into the weeds. So 
both of these enterprise Ethereum solutions have two layers. Um, layer one um, is Hyperledger Basu, which is a, a Java Ethereum client, uh, which uh, connects to mainnet uh, Ethereum. Uh, so it's a, a full-fledged uh, Ethereum client. Uh, and it also has uh, enterprise Ethereum augmentations. Um, and on the formerly JP Morgan side, Geth is uh, a slight modification of the Go Ethereum client. Um, so it doesn't, it's not currently able to connect to mainnet. And that's been important oh. to us to enable hybrid solutions to be created. So private permissioned uh, systems uh, and with roughly the same client uh, also connecting into mainnet. Um, the layer two solution for both of those platforms, which are now all called Quorum, is called Orion um, that sits on top of Hyperledger Basu, uh, provides uh, uh, confidentiality of transactions to a subset of actors. And Tessera, that JP Morgan built, does the exact same thing on JP Morgan's side. So the ultimate configuration of the Quorum client uh, will see Tessera, which is a, a Java based Apache 2 licensed. Uh, confidentiality solution. Uh, it'll sit on top of Hyperledger Basu, which is also Java-based and Apache too. So maximum permissivity uh, in terms of licensing. So no no real constraints. There were a, a small number of institutions that weren't that comfortable with the, the GPL licensing of the, the Geth client. Yeah. And <laughs> so getting into this licensing is getting a bit into the weeds. But as far as I understand, Apache 2 enables private companies to make contributions to these open source. Do whatever bases. you want with it. And, exactly. Yeah. And keep them for themselves without having to contribute them back, which is, it. yeah, sort of like being able to keep their secret sauce. And um, as you mentioned, JP Morgan will be a customer of consensuses going forward. So what will and or what are they using Quorum for? So the publicly announced applications are their interbank information network, which has north of 400 financial institutions around the world. Um, and it is it's essentially a messaging layer uh, similar to what SWIFT does. Uh, JP Morgan, I believe, has around 4,000 uh, financial institutions in their correspondent banking network. So one could imagine that all of those organizations and perhaps more will eventually end up on IIM. So consensus is uh, supporting uh, that network. Um, and consensus is also supporting JPM coin, which is a, a stable coin solution. So that, that's a separate network uh, that JP Morgan has built on Quorum. Uh, JP Morgan is, uh, if you do a little research, uh, they're hiring very aggressively in blockchain. Uh, they've made it very clear, uh, very public, that they're doubling down on blockchain and uh, enterprise Ethereum. So uh, um, it is uh, very exciting for us to be a significant part of that. And it's exciting to see JP Morgan uh, build uh, probably a whole bunch more applications on the Quorum platform. And for the acquisition of Quorum, are you only acquiring the Quorum open source code base or will the Quorum team from JP Morgan also be joining Consensus? So. The Quorum team is heavily engaged uh, with us uh, for at least a year uh, to facilitate uh, transition and to we're working together on, on a shared roadmap uh, that we've defined and we'll continue to define together. Um, I can't say much more of a detailed nature about that right now, but we are working intimately with, with those people. 
Okay. So I guess we'll have to have you back or, or talk to somebody to find yeah. out uh, how that will all work. And so just to circle back about the Besu, so it, uh, customers will be able to choose between Hyperledger, Hyperledger Besu and Consensus Quorum. Is that? Yeah, that's correct. And, and part of, part of the work that we're doing together over the next year, um, uh, with high intensity is to affect plug and play interoperability, uh, between the two versions of Quorum. Uh, so, We've been working on that for a long time in the context of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, defining standards uh, that would enable uh, those two clients and, and other clients from block apps and, and various other organizations to essentially uh, either sit on the same network simultaneously um, or potentially enable a customer to switch from one to another if they uh, felt that necessary. And so we're, we're just... Uh, uh, we remain pretty passionate about uh, uh, interoperability, about building standards-based clients. Um, it's really the only uh, blockchain technology in the world that, that's focused heavily on standards-based uh, approaches, and uh, we haven't uh, pulled back at all from that. In fact, we're, we're doubling down on that as well. And so just so I'm clear and, and the listeners are clear, Essentially, the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance is setting standards. And then um, it's not clear to me actually how Hyperledger Besu and Consensus Quorum will be differentiated or like why one would choose one versus the other. Is it just similar to how, um, for instance, on the public chain, there's parity and geth and people sort of choose based on features? Is is that it? It's a little bit different than that. Uh, there is a pretty sizable cohort uh, hundreds of organizations uh, that use uh, the Geth version of Quorum uh, and a, a sizable cohort that use the Hyperledger Besu-based version of Quorum. Um, and we need to support both in parallel going forward. Um, during that period, uh, we are going to work to make them plug-and-play uh, interoperable or compatible so that we can uh, essentially substitute one for the other at some point, uh, potentially 12 months from now, potentially longer. Uh, we do hope to move the Layer 2 JP Morgan piece called Tessera and put that on top of Hyperledger Besu so that um, that configuration will be the long-term configuration going forward. All right. So in a moment, we're going to discuss more about the news, including aspects of the investment. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. With the latest ups and downs in the world's economy, investors need new ways to grow their wealth. Nexo offers a high-yield interest product with up to 10% APY on your crypto, stablecoins, and fiat. You can also borrow cash or stablecoins using your crypto as collateral at APRs as low as 5.9%. And there's the Nexo token that gives holders access to various bonuses and a dividend that is scheduled soon. You can find more info about the Nexo token at nexo.io slash token. That's nexo.io slash token. How much in fees are you paying for crypto purchases? Now, Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee when you buy crypto. Apart from crypto purchases, you can also get a great deal on food and grocery shopping with Crypto.com. Get up to 10% back when you pay with their MCO Visa card. No card? Use the Crypto.com app to buy gift cards for up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. 
Back to my conversation with Joe Lubin. The Block reported that J.P. Morgan Chase is making a $20 million investment of convertible debt into consensus. Is that figure accurate? I cannot confirm nor deny that that figure is accurate at this point, <laughs> but I, I might have something more to say at some point in the future. Okay. Okay. And it's been reported for a while that J.P. Morgan, sorry, that <laughs> consensus is raising money. Um, and $200 million was the figure reported by the fund- by the information last year. Is that still the target? I've seen lots of different numbers reported. Um, If we are, in fact, continuing to raise, I cannot confirm nor deny that any of those numbers that I've read publicly are accurate. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to circle back for yet another reason. Yeah. Happy to come on the the show again in uh, some period of time and discuss that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty to discuss, but we're going to actually dive into some of these other things right now because obviously consensus has been going through a larger restructuring for quite a while, for a couple of years. So how does this acquisition? I, I think since no. we were born, really, for, for five years, we, <laughs> I mean, we, we were a very different company in the first year than the second year. So yes. Uh, okay. We, okay. The, the latest incarnations of, of consensus are very exciting. Well, so given the, uh, I would say, you know, the downsizing that's been happening since December 2018, um, you know, you've been through a series of layoffs. Uh, you're now restructuring to kind of focus more on software development on one side of the business and venture activities on the other side. So how does this acquisition fit into, into uh, those goals? Um, so a short while ago, uh, we spun uh, so, so the main organization all along has been Consensus AG. Um, it uh, housed investment activities, portfolio management activities, software development activities, professional services activities. Uh, we just recently spun out a company called Consensus Software. Uh, Consensus Software houses our blockchain stack. So it's a coherent, uh, integrated software product company. Um, that's what it focuses on. Uh, it does a bunch of prof- professional services largely centered around our products. Uh, it consists of products like uh, uh, those created by our Pegasus group, our protocol engineering and systems group, uh, which uh, now uh, is the steward for Quorum. Um, it consists of Infura, uh, our infrastructure group, which handles and on some days uh, up to 10 billion queries uh, from the ecosystem, from, from the IPFS and Filecoin ecosystem. It consists of Codify or Commerce and Decentralized Finance Group, which has uh, a number of products uh, on the DeFi side uh, in sort of enterprise business process um, elements. It consists of MetaMask, uh, which is sitting around 500,000 monthly actives and about 1.2 million slightly less active installs. Um, and... Uh, it has a we, we have a, a set of developer tools, uh, so the Truffle suite of developer tools and uh, uh, Diligence, which is security audit tools and a, a group of uh, brilliant people that uh, manually security audit. And we we have the ability to do quite a bit of customization work in our professional services group, and actually maybe one of the most important groups uh, that I almost didn't highlight is our customer success and support group. So. Uh, you don't often think of that as a, as a star uh, in a group like that, but uh, uh, 
Um, it's led by individual who did the same at HP Enterprise. Um, it's been running for two and a half years, approaching three years, and it has been already supporting uh, Quorum on many different networks. So uh, smaller networks um, run by individual organizations or uh, larger networks like the Comgo Commodity Trade Finance Consortium or the Covantis uh, Commodities Trading Consortium. And this is all happening at a very interesting time, not only in the industry, but also in the world. And obviously, we've seen that the coronavirus pandemic has affected all kinds of businesses. And it was reported that um, consensus receives between $1 million and $5 million in the payroll protection program due to COVID. How has the pandemic affected your business? So we saw a set of complicated discussions uh, with the both customers as well as some organizations that we're speaking to about investment. Uh, we've seen, uh, we had projections uh, that would have seen us double our revenue uh, this year. Um, and we have had to scale that back a little bit. We're still going to uh, almost certainly achieve revenue that is a, a good chunk larger in percentage uh, than last year. Um, but we, we've certainly seen slowing down and dropping of some projects, and we've seen uh, a lot of new interest, actually. Uh, some of the new interest may be related a little bit to COVID, so there have been some identity projects that, that popped up, and uh, some specifically around health passports and, and things like that. But this news has been under the radar for a little while, and... Uh, consensus bringing this comprehensive enterprise Ethereum solution with full support, which is something that JP Morgan as a bank wasn't really configured to do. Um, it's already been uh, circulating. And so we've actually seen quite a lot of uh, new interest uh, around the quorum acquisition. And one other piece of news that a consensus project um, kind of <laughs> created a little bit of a, a small outcry, I would say, at least on crypto Twitter, was that MetaMask was changing its licensing. And from uh, you know what I could see, it seemed that maybe this is part of uh, consensus is, you know, restructuring to to focus more on software development or no? No. Do, do you want to? It, it really has nothing to do with restructuring of consensus and we've been we've been an integrated software company um increasingly integrated and, and uh really firing on all cylinders for approaching a year now um and and we just moved into a separate legal entity with with that group um metamask has been working towards uh commercialization or monetization uh it is a heavily open source project it is by far the most open project of all the wallets out there. In fact, all the other wallets are proprietary, not even in the same category. We have a handful of monetization strategies, um, some of which are going to land extremely soon, uh, a number of days from now. Uh, one very exciting one. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Do you want to tease what that <laughs> there, is there, right now? There, there, there's a teaser. <laughs> no, I, I've been told that I'm not allowed to. Um, but that, that's the extent of the tease that I can do. Okay. All right. There are upstream projects, browsers um, that make use of the MetaMask code base and strip out uh, the name and modify it in other ways and strip out reference codes and, and essentially 
remove the ability for MetaMask to monetize in the context of that project. Uh, and so the MetaMask license hasn't changed for anybody except users uh, with more than 10,000 monthly actives uh, who are effectively trying to commercialize uh, with um, the code base that we built. So uh, the, the act of modifying that license just slightly uh, has had positive impact already. And, and the, the community had some really great ideas. The community, uh, uh, Stani Avave, uh, put together a great sketch of a token model. And we've been thinking quite a lot about token models within MetaMask for a long time. And <laughs> I think we're zeroing in on something that, that's uh, pretty exciting. So it's not, not going to hit any time really soon, uh, but it's almost inevitable. Um, and uh, so we, we do hope to um, go in that direction and enable the community to get much more involved in the governance and potential monetization of MetaMask. Huh, it sounds very interesting. We'll keep my eye out for, for what happens there. And um, one other big thing that happened, obviously, recently was the five-year anniversary of Ethereum. When you look back, what are your thoughts about the journey so far and where Ethereum is headed with Ethereum 2.0? I guess nothing but excitement. I think many of us thought that uh, the technology was so powerful and the particular representation, the particular configuration that uh, that Vitalik put forth initially was just so spot on uh, that it was likely to be the uh, programmable, expressive blockchain that uh, became very significant, if not dominant. Uh, so not surprised by how well it's doing. Um, it is astonishing how it's not mainstream yet, but uh, so many people have heard about Bitcoin. So many people have heard about Ethereum and uh, it's turning into a sizable and, and very rapidly growing industry that I think is going to eat the world in a, in a very positive way or enable the world to uh, uh, reconfigure itself in, in healthier ways. And um, with respect to Ethereum 2, we're, we're really on track. Um, and testnet's showing great results. We, I was hoping that we'd run into some serious and ugly problems on testnet and we did um i would have been very uncomfortable if we didn't discover um a handful of bugs uh, and if we didn't have uh situations where we needed to respond in real time um have the team solve problems have the teams coordinate um the solution to the problem and have the network heal itself with the pushing of new code and that's exactly what happened it was a it was a pretty nasty issue, uh, but the, the network did uh, end up after a few days uh, figuring out how to uh, heal itself and, and start finalizing again. Uh, so super excited about that. I think we're on track uh, to launch before the end of this year. Uh, and I think uh, mm. uh, data availability shards and execution environments are likely to follow relatively quickly, I think faster than... Um, more skeptical people might might uh, believe just because a lot of the complexity uh, has been is resident in phase zero, um, and uh, we can put together a more simplified version of uh, data availability shards. Uh, they're going to be especially helpful initially for Ethereum one um, for layer two rollups on Ethereum one. Um, they will. Uh, be able to use uh, that 
uh, guaranteed data availability. Um, and I do believe that we'll see some not too complicated one or more execution environments appear very quickly, possibly um, alongside uh, phase one. So, uh, very bullish. Ethereum one is doing great uh, as it stands. We're we have a number of different layer two scalability solutions live and coming coming online. Uh, so scalability is getting addressed right now, and scalability is going to get a massive shot in the arm, um, say twelve months from now. Yeah, well, hopefully for Ethereum, it will be just in the nick of time because <laughs> there's um, clearly a lot of demand and the fees are high and people are getting a bit antsy. Sure, but you know, throughout the history of information technology, um, technologists have built out new hardware and software solutions and other technologists have maxed them out virtually instantly. Um, so unless we have um, massive utilization uh, and... Know, real uncomfortable straining of the system. We don't know exactly where uh, needs the attention uh, to to build out with respect to scalability. Uh, so it's going to be uh, as it has been with so many technologies, from memory to CPUs to screen size to internet connections. Uh, it's going to be a uh, constant cycling of greater capability that gets eaten up immediately by the application developers. And so um, very excited to see that uh, that we're bumping up against the ceiling yet again. Uh, the ceiling will continue to be raised and we'll continue to try to bump up against it and raise it higher. Great. Well, I look forward to seeing Ethereum and uh, consensus too on that journey. Thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks, Lord. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, Fidelity bets on Bitcoin with new fund. Forbes reports that Fidelity president and head of consulting Peter Jubber filed paperwork Wednesday for a new Bitcoin dedicated fund with a minimum investment of $100,000, likely aimed at institutional and accredited investors. Called the Wise Origin Bitcoin Index Fund, it does not yet have investors and it's unclear what the relationship is between Fidelity Digital Asset and an organization called Wise Origin Funds. Fidelity Brokerage Services LLC is to be the fund's custodian. Fidelity's Intellectual Property Vice President has filed a trademark application for the name Wise Origin Funds. Frank Chaparro of The Block wrote that a Bitcoin fund by Fidelity could be the next best thing to a Bitcoin ETF. Because although the fund will not be available to retail investors, it could potentially become available to investor advisors to sell to their own clients. Next headline. Shifting approach to inflation by Fed could bolster Bitcoin. A new policy unveiled Thursday by Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell would lead inflation rates and thus the cost of borrowing to stay low for longer. The change would allow inflation to run higher than usual for certain periods to target an average inflation rate of 2% over time. Bitcoiners, such as the Winklevoss twins, pointed to the change to bolster their contention that the U.S. dollar is an increasingly unreliable store of value, and coming inflation will devalue the dollar further, allowing Bitcoin, with its capped supply, to potentially overtake gold. Bitcoin in value after Powell outlined the Fed's new tolerance for higher inflation, but so far there has been an otherwise muted reaction to Powell's comments. 
Analysts previously speculated that Powell's speech could help boost Bitcoin and lead to further drops in the power of the dollar, but the long-term effect of the new policy remains to be seen. Next headline. SEC expands the definition credit investor. The the Securities and Exchange Commission revised the definition of accredited investor, which determines who is able to participate in private investments such as token sales. Now, not only are income or net worth acceptable qualifications, but so are certain designations or credentials based on professional knowledge or certifications. For instance, holders of Series 7, 65, and 82 licenses, which have to do with private security sales and investment advising, are now included. However, because this would not significantly increase the pool of accredited investors, response to the news was mixed. Athena Blockchain General Counsel Drew Hay tweeted that the not meaningful, at least not yet. Cardozo School of Law professor and Open Law co-founder Aaron Wright tweeted, however, that the news was, quote, a big step in the right direction, setting up a framework for technical accreditation in the future. SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce issued a statement calling for even greater expansion to the definition. She said, quote, Why shouldn't mom-and-pop retail investors be allowed to invest in private offerings? Why should I, as a regulator, decide what other Americans do with their money? Next headline. FTX acquires Blockfolio for $150 million. Crypto Derivatives Exchange, FTX, has acquired popular crypto data app Blockfolio in a $150 million attempt to expand its retail footprint. The deal came out of initial discussions between the companies about how they might collaborate and is one of the largest acquisitions in crypto this year. Blockfolio, which has 6 million users and receives 150 million impressions a month, will receive a mix of equity, FTX's native token, and cash. It remains unclear how Blockfolio will fit into the FTX ecosystem, although the firms are working on a retail trading feature, and the deal is seen as akin to Binance's acquisition of CoinMarketCap, and that CoinMarketCap and Blockfolio could bring in a lot of traffic that then funnels down to their respective exchange partners. Next headline. DCG to invest $100 million in Bitcoin mining. Digital Currency Group revealed a new mining subsidiary called Foundry, It will invest $100 million in mining Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in North America. Foundry has been operating its own mining operations since 2019, plus offering crypto startups mining equipment and financing. And it also plans to move into staking. DCG founder and CEO Barry Silbert hopes to increase the U.S.'s share of global Bitcoin production, especially compared to that of China, as there are currently few significant mining operations in North America. However, a number of failed efforts here previously could indicate that it may be a hard road ahead. The firm expects DCG's network, deep experience in crypto, and support from federal and local officials who may also not want to cede production of Bitcoin to China to help it succeed. Next headline. How will copycat projects fare in DeFi? The yield farming craze has raised a question. If it's easy to fork code and launch a project that promises advantages over the original, and if it's so easy for users to move from project to project chasing the highest yield, then what will survive? The block's Stephen Chang notes that August saw a number of copycat projects that piggybacked off other projects' code to launch their own tokens along with catchy memes and enticing yield farming schemes. YEARN and YAM are great examples of this, and in the area of DEXs or automated market makers, Muniswap and SushiSwap are near clones of current heavyweight Uniswap. Muniswap claims to improve 
on Uniswap by preventing arbitrageurs from taking all the slippage and instead keeping most of it in the pool to redistribute to liquidity providers. Meanwhile, SushiSwap has a governance token, Sushi, part of which will be set aside to fund development, which at Uniswap is currently funded by VCs. And Stephen's conclusion is, quote, at the end of the day, like the mania of 2017, these often uninspired forks of other forks will attract liquidity into the ecosystem. And as a result of a sector flushed with cash, we may see some truly useful projects flourish. Next headline, fun bids. Arthur Hayes weighs in on yield farming. Arthur Hayes of BitMEX, or what is now called 100X Group, is always entertaining to read, and his latest missive on his adventures in DeFi, as well as his breakdown of what drives demand and supply in crypto credit, is no exception. He begins, quote, I lack access to nightclubs and most other forms of revelry. Therefore, I decided to become a crypto peasant. After describing the main players in the crypto ecosystem, miners, speculators, borrowers, lenders, exchanges, etc., he talks about how DeFi has decentralized all of it and then says that he is enjoying yield farming meme tokens. However, like any smart investor in crypto, he fully expects to lose all his money. Quote, in my head, I like to believe I can read market sentiment and get out at the top of the bull market. But in reality, like most other traders, I will buy high, hold, 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 and sell well after the top. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Joe and Consensus's acquisition of Quorum, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the show on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained Podcast and subscribe today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.